Uh, we're going to look at just a, a segment of chapter 3 of Genesis tonight. We're going to uh, consider the first seven verses, uh, a momentous uh, event in the history of humanity, the, the tragedy of the fall. In June 1987, uh, a 19-year-old German created quite a stir uh, when he flew uh, a Cessna light aircraft, a Cessna 172, uh, more than 400 miles from Germany uh, through Soviet airspace and actually landed in front of the Kremlin. Uh, At that time, the USSR had the the most sophisticated air defence system uh, in the world. Uh, Less than five years earlier, a South Korean civilian uh, passenger liner had been shot down after after entering into Soviet airspace. Uh, All 269 passengers on board were killed as a result. So it was, in many respects, a foolhardy Uh, undertaking by this young German to do. And of course there was a lot of embarrassment afterwards, a lot of uh, scrambling around to find out how on earth this had happened. Uh, It turned out that uh, some of the the USSR Air Force just assumed that this was a Soviet plane. Uh, Admittedly Air Force jets flew around the Cessna twice but In the report, it was said that the air defence commander showed intolerable unconcern and indecision about cutting short the flight of the violator plane without resorting to combat means. Inexplicable that a teenager could land on the lawn, the front lawn of the Kremlin. Incredible that sin could make a landing on humanity in the midst of the perfections of Eden. We have a sinful nature that inclines us to do wrong. It's part of the way that we're made, our makeup, as a result of this event, that we we are predisposed to go against God's rule. Not so with Adam. Adam is made in original perfection, his desire is to please God. And he is surrounded by the provision of God. Uh, They are in paradise. We saw uh, how Eden, uh, an enclosure uh, with God, uh, granting them fellowship, with all God's provision in its abundance around them, all kinds of, of trees bearing fruit, uh, pleasing to the eye, aesthetically pleasing and good for food, everything that they could have set their hearts upon life was perfect. How could they want it any different? How did temptation enter a place as perfect as Eden? How did the tempter move things forward leading to such catastrophic events? These are questions which fly off the page of Holy Scripture. We've got to uh, understand that this is, this is an event, this is a part of, the, of the, the scripture's teachings which are absolutely vital for us uh, to be confident in, to understand. The, the good news of salvation makes no sense unless we uh, fully grasp the enormity of 
our need. Unless you've got a clear understanding of sin, unless you're utterly convinced how serious, how ruinous sin is, then uh, why would you seek a saviour? Doesn't make sense. But when you begin to see that this is not only a historical event, a huge turning point, a hinge of history, but it's also an x-ray of your own heart, of your own brokenness before God, then you do see how desperately we need the remedy that Jesus brings, the wholeness he brings to our brokenness. Whatever our our views of the, the age of the earth, I think it's imperative that we understand that this is a historical event and that Adam is a historical figure uh, because uh, he is of a part with God's dealings with us as a representative. Sometimes we talk about a federal head in in, uh, Reformed theology. Just as Adam represents humanity and is on probation on our behalf as an individual, so Christ will come later and God will be pleased To sum up in Christ himself all his people. He will go to the cross not as an individual but for his people. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ all will be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15.22 So there's a huge amount at stake here. Adam and Eve are on probation. If they had not given in to temptation they would have continued in their original blessedness. Interesting that the Jews don't have a doctrine of original sin. Modern Jewish theologians uh, don't believe in original sin as we uh, believe it as Christians that because of Adam's uh, fall, we inherit his guilt. We were in Adam. Although the account is in their Torah. And the reason, of course, is that we... uh, We see this in the light of the incarnation. It says uh, we see it in Christ and what he has done coming in our stead, uh, coming and recapitulating, if you like, what Adam did, except standing in the face of temptation and living a life of blessedness. It's only through the light of the incarnation that we see so much truth and we see here uh, and fully appreciate how great the mess that our first Adam uh, got as into. So we're going to look at uh, this account, uh, at least the, the first part of it that we have here. Uh, we're going to consider some, some really important questions, uh, questions that we may not be able to answer fully. Uh, for example, the origin of sin. Uh, we want to look at the appeal of sin. Why is it that sin has an attractiveness? And we're going to track the progress of sin uh, through the the uh, tempter's dealings with Eve and with Adam. One of the big questions that people have grappled with is, is where did sin originate? Where did sin originate? And to be quite honest, I don't think anyone has a a complete uh, answer to that. And many have come unstuck trying to answer that question. We have to grapple with it without implying that God is somehow the, the author of sin. But there are certain very important uh, 
truths that we have here uh, which tell us something about the existence of sin, which are contrary to uh, secular understandings of the world and, and, and how it is. So you have everything's going well, everything is fine in the garden, and then there is this uh, sinister uh, comment about the serpent. The serpent appears on the scene, and we're told now the serpent was more subtle than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent. And the serpent uh, is not immediately identified as Satan. We don't have that immediately here. Uh, It is implied uh, there's a connection with other parts of Scripture. When you go to verse 15, uh, one of the key verses in the whole of the Bible, uh, sometimes called the the Proto-Evangelium, the the Gospel in its seed form, there's the, the promise of one who will come and will crush the head of the serpent. Romans 16 verse 20 There's a a tie-up made uh, with that verse uh, which points to the identification of the serpent. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Satan is the serpent. Uh, Jesus is the serpent crusher. Revelation 12.9 speaks of the end of Satan. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world world astray. Now elsewhere the Bible indicates that Satan was once an an archangel like Gabriel, uh, only called Lucifer, or the son of the morning, and he fell from his position of prominence through pride. Uh, Isaiah 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. According to the Bible's account, sin came from outside the human situation. It entered our world. It had not been in our world before. And that's so important. The Bible's teaching us that humanity was originally good and has a calling to restored goodness. That's very different from the secular account. Uh, People in secular atheistic circles don't talk about sin. But uh, if they did, then uh, they would understand sin as being in humanity from the beginning. Uh, We're only uh, a few genes removed from uh, nature red in tooth and claw. Uh, There's a a, a brutality latent in our own makeup. Uh, And so there's a sense, in their view, that sin is determined by our genes. But the, the Christian message is different. We have a better history And we're recalled to that goodness by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, who is our proper man. The reformers used to refer to Jesus as our proper man. In him we see humanity as it was originally intended. The goodness of 
manhood in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing that we, we notice from uh, the Genesis account. That sin wasn't originally within our world. It came from outside the world. It's not part of, of the original human story. And the other thing that we notice from Genesis 3 is that, that the good God and evil, this, this evil force, are not equal and opposite forces. Not a dualism in the world. Now you have that in, in some uh, Eastern religions and you have it in, in a popular religion like, like uh, you find in Star Wars and so on. But no, we're told the serpent was craftier than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He is a creature. Satan is a creature. He was once a good creature. Horribly distorted now. Horribly fallen away from his original uh, goodness. But he's no match for the creator. He's no match for the creator. And once again, there's a realism along with a hope in the Bible's account. The world that we're in, the world that we experience, the world that we know uh, is groaning under sin. All around us we see the marks of evil and wickedness and sinfulness in our world. Evil has a baneful influence over it. But... There is a God who is greater by far, who is more powerful by far, a God who has promised that he will restore all things one day. Evil is not equal and opposite to God. It must be subordinated to him. One of the great uh, (coughs) fathers of the church, Augustine, wrote once, For God judged it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. God is in control. Uh, So much so that uh, in the the early church, in the liturgy of the early church, the the sin of of Adam was referred to as uh, the Felix culpa, the, the, the happy mistake, the happy sin. Oh, happy fault that merited such and so great a redeemer. Through this catastrophic event of the fall, we have the promise, in the verse that we'll be looking at next time, of a redeemer. God is greater than evil. God is able to ultimately bring out his own divine purposes uh, in the midst of the chaos. But ultimately, we acknowledge that there's so much that we don't understand about how it was that that sin uh, came to arise in this situation. Sin is, by its very nature, uh, anomalous. It's against rule, against uh, law. A more practical question, perhaps, is for us to try and grapple tonight with what's the appeal of sin? What is the attractiveness of sin? It would be silly and not spiritual in in, in the least to say that sin doesn't have any appeal or attraction. Of course sin has got appeal. Of course sin has an attraction. If it didn't, it wouldn't be effective. We wouldn't be enticed by it. And we ought to be able to discern something of of the attractiveness of sin in this first uh, 
archetypal uh, sin, if you like. Now, many people might think, well, what, what uh, Eve and then Adam did was, was such a little thing. They ate a fruit that had been, they had been told not to eat a fruit, and they ate a fruit. What is the big deal, people might say. It's the kind of thing that would scarcely uh, bring a reprimand on someone in the workplace today. Uh, people are, tend to say, well, so long as what you do doesn't harm or interfere with anyone else's business, then surely it doesn't matter at all. But the essence of this sin was that it was uh, going against the, the word of God, the revealed word of God, and the test. Adam's probation was, will he submit himself to the word of God, or will he be the arbiter of what is good and what is not good? Who will be God? And when we see it in these stark terms, you see it is such a huge issue. And the stakes are high. The stakes are high in our own lives every time uh, we're faced with, with like decisions. The question becomes, who is God? Who will be king? Am I king? Am I a, 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 a tin pot monarch in my own sphere? Or is God king over all my life? That's a question. That's what's at stake. And the genius, if you like, of God's command of the probation is that it's so simple. So starkly simple, stripped it down. It's clear to all that the, the clarity is, will you obey me? Will you trust me implicitly or not? What then induced Adam and Eve to disobey? <clears throat> it's helpful to, to think of sin as, as uh, has often been thought by, by theologians as, as disordered desire. It's a helpful way, I think, to think of it. That uh, what Satan does so often is that he uh, perverts desires that we have which are originally good. Uh, one of the desires that we have as humans is a desire for freedom. And that is a good thing. You know, to, to want to have freedom uh, is a good desire. But freedom to be healthy uh, must be enjoyed within bounds or it becomes lawlessness. John, in his uh, epistle, tells us sin is, anomia, is lawlessness. And there is in sin a desire to, to, to throw off all the, the, the bounds, uh, all constraints. There's a wrong-headed notion, a sinful notion that freedom uh, will come when we reject God's revelation. And you see it in all kinds of different ways. I was reading a, a biography of Thomas Jefferson, one of the early U.S. presidents, and it was interesting that when he uh, fulfilled his dream of, of having a university built in Washington, in uh, Virginia, he wouldn't allow any church involvement. The, the early uh, American uh, seats of learning had been uh, established by the church, and he saw this as, as being restrictive of free inquiry. In fact, so much so that he went to the extent of banning uh, a theology faculty from the new university. And yet at the same time, he wanted to, to uh, be directive in terms of the political views of the students and the teachers who would come to his new university. He had a blind spot, a blind side. But we see God's word as being restrictive. 
and we want freedom and there is this attractiveness in sin uh, which appeals to our desire for freedom to cast off boundaries. There's the appeal to the senses. The woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Physical taste, visual appeal uh, overturn God's word. Now, again, uh, like freedom, these are good things. We're given God's good things to enjoy. We're talking here about aesthetics. We're talking about things which are pleasurable. Uh, They are God's gifts to us. But we are made as creatures not to be directed according to our senses, by sense appeal, by image and taste, but we are to be directed by the word of God. Interesting that uh, sometimes uh, in, in Christian worship, very often uh, distortions come in where image and, and sense begin to take prominence over the word. Uh, Christian worship is, is uh, preeminently word-based worship. It is the word of God that is expounded as revelation. And when, when sensory appeal comes in, uh, then all floodgates are opened up. If ever there was uh, someone in <clears throat> the modern age who allowed himself to be ruled by sensuality, it was the, the, uh, the, the writer Oscar Wilde. And he wrote candidly uh, from prison of his experience. He wrote this, tired of being on the heights, I deliberately went to the depths in search for new sensation. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber when has some day to cry aloud on the housetop. I ceased to be lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul and did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. There's the appeal to uh, unfettered freedom. There's the appeal to the senses of sin. And then thirdly, there was an appeal to pragmatism. You know, pragmatism, if it works, then it's good. Did Eve really want wisdom? Was that what Eve was after when she went and ate from the fruit? Is that what Adam wanted? I don't think so. The, The serpent had said that they would be like gods, that this wisdom was something which would make them godlike. And it was ultimately this pragmatism. Well, whatever it takes, I'll go for that. Uh, pragmatism, again, can, can be a good thing if it means that we, we can be flexible in achieving a, a, a good outcome. Then we usually want to, to praise that. But when it becomes winning a prize at any cost, then it's a disordered desire. And so Eve and then Adam submitted to uh, desire for unbounded, fretting, uh, un, un, unbounded freedom, uh, the, the pleasure of, of, of sight and, and sense and of pragmatism. Notice now the way that sin moved on uh, in the encounter between Eve and Adam and the serpent because this is the way it progresses in our own lives also. Significant 
I think that the serpent went to Eve first. Uh, Eve uh, was created as one who was to come under the, the shade of Adam's headship. Uh, she ought to have consulted with Adam, her head, in all significant matters, but she doesn't. And so part of the, the temptation of the serpent is to undermine the, the ordering of the sexes that God had instituted at creation. And of course, Adam is equally guilty because uh, he is AWOL when it comes to exerting a loving headship in the situation. The text suggests that he, he was with her. Uh, he may have been listening in to this discussion with Eve. He certainly shows no leadership, no headship. He bottles it. And Satan comes along and his first tactic is to sow doubt on the word of God. Did God really say, you shall not eat from any the trees. Hmm. You know, the Bible's a very old document, and things really aren't quite as clear as some of the fundamentalists make out. Uh, really, there's a great deal of ambiguity, and we can never really be sure uh, what God really wants us to believe. Uh, the, the Bible, while it's full of all of these errors and these scribal mistakes, and really, who can tell? It's the, the arch-liberal's way of undermining confidence in the word of God. To make God's word uh, seem ambiguous, unclear. Now, of course, there are parts of the Bible that are, are hard to understand. And there are parts of the Bible over which Christians sincerely uh, disagree, fail to come to a common mind. But that's not to say that a, the Bible is teaching two different things. I think if believers were to give themselves uh, with an unprejudiced mind to studying the word of God, there is a truth to be discovered. And in any case, the things which are of real and central importance are plain. The simplest person can understand the things which are necessary for salvation as they are revealed in the word of God. But Satan's device is to cast doubt on the word of God by suggesting that it's really not that clear. Did God really say? He is so subtle. If he had begun by coming to even say, God didn't say, that was a, a head-on encounter. Eve would probably have said, you're a liar. And she would have been dead right. But instead... Satan comes along and sows a suggestion of a lack of clarity. Really, we would like God to speak more clearly, but he hasn't. And then having done that, he alters God's word. Having sown that suspicion that things aren't clear, uh, he is emboldened uh, to depart from what God said. Because God, of course, hadn't said that you shan't eat from any tree of the garden. It had been one tree out of the many wonderful trees, one tree only, that was denied Adam and Eve. That was their test point. And so he's altered God's word. And, and then Eve responds. And uh, Eve, perhaps at this point, although she uh, rebuts what 
Satan has said. She points out that God hadn't said that they're not to eat of any of the trees. Uh, she has now been seduced somewhat by the serpent. And she instead adds to God's word. She now speaks of God prohibiting them even touching any of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God hadn't mentioned touching, but she's introduced an extra element. She's added to the word of God. Modern liberalism, again, all over the place. You know, it's uncertain. This and that or adding to what God has said. And then at last, Satan is sufficiently emboldened to come and say, in direct contradiction to what God said, you shall not surely die. Isn't it interesting that the the first doctrine that Satan denies is the doctrine of judgment. You shan't die. God said that there's a penalty, there's a price to pay for disobeying the word of God. And Satan comes and says, no, no there's not. You shan't surely die. And then finally he wants to undermine Eve's confidence in the goodness of God. He's wanted to sow in her mind, the thoughts that God is not really for her, that God doesn't want her best. God knows that in the moment that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Of course, there's there's truth in that because after they ate from the fruit, God said that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. But the lie is that God is not good and that God doesn't want the best for us. That God is somehow some kind of, of an ogre withholding uh, what would be for our benefit. He wants to do us down. He wants to, to be hard and harsh towards us. Satan wants us to doubt the goodness of God, because he knows we won't trust a God who is not good. And unbelief is the root sin. Not trusting God, we'll trust ourselves, thinking that we can become like God. And pride and disobedience quickly follow on the heels of unbelief. And that, that's why, uh, that's why we, we need to be so careful when we are going through hard times, when we're suffering, when, when our health isn't good, when there's difficulties in our lives then the, tendon, the, the temptation for us is to doubt the goodness of God in our situation. What have I done to deserve this? We need to resist the devil and not doubt the goodness of God. And then finally, the woman has been persuaded. Verse 6, she took She ate, she gave to her husband. She took, she ate, she gave. She's undermined his headship. Adam's shown no sign of holding the line. He may, as we said, have been there all along listening in. He has abrogated his responsibility. They hoped that their eyes would be opened and that they would be like God. And the irony of ironies is that their eyes are opened and they see their nakedness and they're ashamed.
And it's the story of the tragedy of our first parents. And it's your story, it's my story, because we were there. In a deep sense, we were there. We were in Adam. Adam and Eve were on probation, not merely as individuals, but as representative heads of all of humanity. When they reached out in pride and took and ate and were guilty, we were guilty also. We were given in them the very best chance that we could have had, the most perfect environment, every natural inclination to obey. No one can protest and say, it's not fair that someone else was made my substitute. Because we know full well that we would never have fared any better. That we too would have done what they did and we too do today what they did. We doubt God's word, deny his justice, scorn his rule. We reach out and snatch the prize that we are forbidden and we are justly under the wrath of God. And yet, praise God, the story does not end there. And all through all through these early verses of the, the word of God, we have these little glimpses looking forward to the Savior. We haven't come to this great, this battleship of a verse in verse 15 yet. But right here, we have intimation of the Savior. The one who will come and who will undo the awfulness, the, the, the tragic fallout of sin in Eden. And who will, in a wonderful way, reverse words of tragedy and make them words of blessing. So that the words take and eat that we have here in connection with man's sin become at the Lord's table words of blessing. Take and eat. Become blessing for us because of what they represent of the body and the blood of Jesus, of the one who went to the cross to bear for us the punishment of our sin, we who are guilty in Adam. He comes the second Adam into the fright. He stands where Adam fell. He bears the penalty due to Adam's sin and mine. And in his memorial feast, as he calls us together, to remember him every time we come to the Lord's table. These are the words that we hear again. Take and eat. What a saviour who has redeemed us from such an abyss. Heavenly Father, we praise and we bless you for your love to us in Jesus. Lord, how deep was the fall. But how deep, how deeper still the Father's love. We thank you for transforming our situation and making of us who were rebels, children of the living God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. 
our proper man, our last Adam. Thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.